Merton once said, love is our true destiny. We do not find the meaning of life by ourselves alone. We find it with another. Welcome to the third episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool. Someone actually called it the SDP on Twitter the other day, and it warmed my heart, so thank you. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because the time of loneliness in our church for those of us suffering and struggling is over. We're here to usher in a new era, an era of accompaniment, community, and willingness to suffer alongside each other out of the love Christ calls us to. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. We received a follow-up question on a topic from episode one, the vicarious traumatization many of us have experienced by way of the abuse crisis in our church at TMW015, asked that we explore the effects of the abuse crisis for all the laity and ways to combat those effects. She asked, what can we do within our parishes or campus ministry programs to help this? Also, quote, do you have any recommendations for how to better frame conversations and our language around discussing clerical abuse so as to be aware of and sensitive to the trauma individuals have experienced? Vicarious traumatization most frequently impacts those who walk alongside people experiencing trauma. When we connect emotionally with victims of trauma, we can begin to experience symptoms similar to those who ex have experienced the trauma firsthand. Feelings like sadness, grief, irritability, mood swings, sleep disturbances, cynicism, and issues with security, trust, and control. Those who have experienced trauma in the past are most likely to be faced with vicarious traumatization as they try and help others. I think many of us are facing this in the wake of the abuse scandals in the church, and it needs to be named and met with compassion. So what can we do? As always, proper self-care is the first line of self-defense. Uh, parishes and campus ministries can help by bringing people together to engage in self-care that heals both the individual and the community as a whole. Prayer, acts of service, fun leisure activities, all explicitly put on as self-care events, focused on helping us all heal from the trauma we've experienced either directly or vicariously by way of the scandals in the church. Ask the people involved in your campus ministry what they like to do for self-care, what they find helpful, and turn their feedback into actual real-life gatherings and events that can help heal us all. Next, recommendations for how to better frame conversations and our language around discussing clerical abuse so as to be aware and sensitive to the trauma individuals have experienced. Show compassion. Be a good listener. Put yourself in the shoes of an abuse survivor. How would you feel? What would be helpful to hear and unhelpful to hear? Listen to those who have experienced abuse. Ask their advice. Seek out their guidance in what would be helpful for them. Never minimize their feelings. Never make the abuse scandals seem like no big deal. One person being abused at the hands of the church is too many. One person feeling uncomfortable in the church founded by Christ is too many. And if you start your conversation with that in mind, you'll be off to a good start. Another question that's been sent into the show quite a bit revolves around the topic of mental health in Catholic schools. At Marin underscore Brown DM'd, quote, I was curious if you could talk about mental health professionals in schools, specifically Catholic schools. The all-boys high school that my brother attended had three boys commit suicide in the last five years. How can we have resources in our Catholic schools to help young people? Thank you for this question. 
First off, let's all join in a quick prayer for the souls of the three boys at the school who committed suicide that you mentioned. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. So there's a lot of great work being done in the area of mental health services in schools, and I want to start with that. Mental health services in schools give children an opportunity to explore emotions, develop coping skills, and learn to process their feelings all in a safe place. It's great. That being said, so much more has to be done. The questions that immediately jump to my mind are, how can schools do more to normalize getting help for mental health symptoms and experiences? How can schools do more to directly address the topic of suicide and what to do if you or a friend feels like taking their own life? What can schools do to help coordinate therapy with the entire family unit rather than continuing to perpetuate the idea that the child is the problem? These are the things we have to address if we want to provide the kind of mental health support our kids need in school. And as Catholic schools, we should be at the forefront of answering all these questions rather than lagging behind our public school counterparts, which is sadly often the case. Talking about it is a great place to start. So let's continue the discussion and help give our schools the support they need to get the job done because our kids' lives depend on it. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today I'm introducing you to St. Benedict Joseph Labre. Finally, we get a non-Irish saint. Are you guys happy? Born in France in 1748, Benedict was the eldest of 18 children and studied under his uncle, a parish priest. At age 16, however, Benedict experienced a profound change. He became a pilgrim, traveling from one great shrine to another, living off alms. He wore the rags of a beggar and shared his food with the poor. Eventually, he went and applied at La Trappe Monastery, but he was turned down partially due to not being of sound health. He tried multiple other monasteries and orders and was turned down by each and every one. So he began to live a life of extreme poverty in answer to the call of Christ. As a result of his poverty, Benedict soon ceased to be clean. The smell of Benedict was not always pleasant. Even his confessor, who wrote of his life, tells us very frankly that when Benedict came to confession, he had to protect himself from the vermin. Of his rejections, one scholar of the saint wrote, St. Benedict Joseph Lebray was to model Christ in his rejection and suffering, and I call him the personification of the rejected suffering Christ. On April 16, 1783, the last day of his life, Benedict dragged himself to a church in Rome and prayed there for two hours before he collapsed dying peacefully in a nearby house. Immediately after his death, the people who came across him during his life proclaimed him a saint. Rejected due to concerns about his mental stability, rejecting all worldly goods, and living as a homeless pilgrim as his answer to Christ's call to holiness, St. Benedict Joseph Lebray is a fantastic patron for all of us experiencing emotional trouble, all of us who feel like we're wandering from rejection to rejection even though we're trying to follow God's plan for our life, and all of us who are called to be great saints in spite of and in some cases due to our mental health symptoms. We close with the prayer to St. Benedict Joseph Lebray. St. Benedict Joseph Lebray, you gave up honor, money, and home for love of Jesus. Help us to set our hearts on Jesus and not on the things of this world. You lived in obscurity among the poor in the streets. Enable us to see Jesus in our poor brothers and sisters and not judge by appearances. 
Make us realize that in helping them, we are helping Jesus. Show us how to befriend them and not pass them by. St. Benedict Joseph Lebray, you had a great love for prayer. Obtain for us the grace of persevering prayer, especially adoration of Jesus in the most blessed sacrament. St. Benedict Joseph Lebray, poor in the eyes of men, but rich in the eyes of God, pray for us. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. A big thank you to at Mrs. Furminator for checking in with our first DM. Quote, I have suffered with work and relationship related anxiety and panic for some years. Some great people prayed over me once, and the resulting panic attack was so huge, I actually went blind for a time. My husband and I have been unable to have children, and being Catholic, that has also been really, really tough. Thanks again for reaching out. A bit to unpack here. First off, I hope that anyone hearing this who is experiencing anxiety and panic takes this as the sign they've been waiting for that it's time to get help. Therapy is an excellent starting point for anxiety-related issues. Being able to work on why panic comes, where it comes from, and what to do when you feel it coming on is incredibly helpful. And if you find that medication may be needed temporarily, you shouldn't feel ashamed in any way. So first, take care of yourselves. Now, the anxiety and panic that can come with being prayed over, man, I get that. Being the center of attention, even in a spiritual setting, can be difficult and panic-inducing, not only because people are focusing on you, but also because it can reinforce the idea that something is wrong with us. My advice when this situation comes up, if you're like me and not a fan of it, would be to ask the people offering to pray over you if they would instead just pray for you. Not there in public, but later when they're saying their prayers before bed or maybe when they're praying their rosary the next day. When we pray for people, we're asking for God to help them. And for me personally, it feels a lot less like I'm a broken object with spiritual mechanics trying to fix me and a lot more like friends along the journey offering support. The other piece of the DM was about the struggle of experiencing infertility and trying to be a part of the Catholic world when we're unable to have children. And my heart just absolutely breaks for everyone going through this. Come on, you guys. Those of us who are blessed with children have to step up and support those who are facing infertility. We need to go out of our way to help them feel welcomed to ensure that they don't feel less than because of the life God has asked them to walk. Never judge a married couple without kids or with less kids than you think they should have. Never assume that someone isn't being open to life. As an adopted child of an infertile couple myself and as a parent who has experienced the death of a child and miscarriage, I implore you to show love, compassion, and give the benefit of the doubt to families who don't look like what we've been told should be the ideal Catholic family's look. And to all the men and women experiencing infertility, pregnancy and infant loss, or anything similar, I need you to know that you are not left on the outside of the Catholic world looking in. You are blessed by God. You are worthy. You are loved. You are not facing infertility because you wouldn't be a good parent. God is not punishing you, even though I know from personal experience it can feel that way. You are needed in this Catholic world, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Okay, actual person who's been in my actual house and sat on my actual couch at vintage underscore sister asks, I was recently diagnosed with a chronic disease, and while it's not fatal, it is exhausting. The doctors have started addressing everything from rest to diet in order to ease my symptoms, but my biggest concern is losing hope. Do you have any advice for combating helplessness, hopelessness, and isolation when faced with huge life changes? And how do you lean into your faith in times like these? To start, can I just say I'm so sorry that you're facing this diagnosis? And can we all say a quick prayer for your comfort and for you to have joy in the midst of suffering? 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Okay, so I've been filled with hopelessness and helplessness in my own life, and I've struggled with the desire to isolate and avoid everything because of those feelings. So first off, you're not alone. I know that doesn't solve the problem, but it is sometimes nice to hear that we walk alongside others who share our experience, and it's nice to know we can pray for each other. First piece of advice, fight the urge to isolate. I know. I know it feels like a good idea, but the desire to close in on ourselves in the midst of suffering is a lie our brain tells us. It's a lie caused by the depression, the pain, the sorrow, and we have to fight against it and keep reaching out to others. Sometimes we combat hopelessness just by the very fact that life goes on. We continue on. We put one foot in front of the other. We don't know why. We don't know how, but we keep going. And this in and of itself can help a bit. But for me, my faith was key. And not the hope-filled, every tear will be dried part of our faith, which is also cool, don't get me wrong, but instead the part of our faith where I felt connected to Christ, to Mary, and to the saints precisely because of my hopelessness and helplessness. The Seven Sorrows Rosary was and is huge for me. Meditating on the intense suffering God permitted Our Lady to go through. Our Lady, the crown of creation. She experienced it. And then thinking about how if she was asked to experience pain and suffering, perhaps there's something mysteriously important and life life-giving about my own pain and suffering. Obviously, there's a connection to Christ and the crucifixion here, but for me personally, the connection to Mary was a big help. We keep going forward. We realize that everything happens to us so that we can become saints. We don't understand how all the time, but if we start from that understanding, it can redefine hope, redefine the whole point of this thing called life. Vaclav Havel, the last president of Czechoslovakia, once said something about hope that means a lot to me, and maybe it will to you too. Hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something will make sense regardless of how it turns out. Our last one for this episode, an anonymous listener checked in to ask, self-harm, is it a sin? Would you consider the mental illness around it uh, a mitigator in culpability? And how would you approach someone who's concerned that self-harm cuts them off from communion? And what about the saints whose behavior would have be considered self-harm by today's standards like St. Rose of Lima and her crown of thorns or the saints who scourged themselves? Thank you so much for checking in with these questions, ones that I'm sure are in the hearts of a great many of our listeners. Okay, so is self-harm like cutting, burning, or perhaps banging our heads a sin. I should mention here that I'm not a theologian, but here's how I would approach it. Yes, purposely harming our body is objectively a sin. However, as you mentioned in your question, uh, our mental health is quite clearly a mitigating factor in our culpability. First, to be culpable for a mortal sin, there must be grave matter. Surely harming one's body qualifies. We have to know it's a mortal sin, and this one would vary for different people, I would think. And we must give free consent of our will. And here is where I would suggest that those of us who use self-harm as a coping skill most often do not meet the criteria for being culpable for the sin due to the habit of going to this coping skill, leading to it being temporarily beyond our control. It's important to note that cutting is typically not suicidal behavior, and it's helpful if family members can keep that in mind. Instead, it's most often a coping skill for those feeling excessive anxiety, for those who feel completely numb, or for those who feel outside of reality and want to be jolted back. The pain, the blood, the release of the act of cutting helps those who utilize it as a coping skill to feel grounded, feel relieved, feel something instead of nothing. 
That being said, similar to drinking when overwhelmed, overeating when emotional, smoking when stressed, and on and on and on, most of us have unhealthy coping skills for our emotions. But cutting off and gets called out as somehow worse than the other ones I mentioned. I'm not sure why, but in terms of being concerned that self-harm may cut us off from communion, I would suggest discussing this with a priest you trust. Being that I don't know the details, I wouldn't want to advise you one way or the other, except to say, if you feel like you should refrain from communion, it's probably better because you want to respect your Catholic radar. If it's being set off, it deserves to be respected. The thing about saints, specifically St. Rose of Lima, is something I've thought about a lot. The fine line between penance or mortification for the sake of God and self-harm can be difficult to parse out, and it's blurry to be sure. And while I don't pretend to have the knowledge to know where that line is, I would make a habit of praying to those who exhibited these behaviors, especially Rose of Lima, for guidance, for prayers before the throne of God, and for companionship on your journey, because we could all use the help. Also, it's important for us to look at the fruits of those saints, their lives, and their mortifications, especially when someone calls out our beloved holy heroes for behaviors that may look like symptoms of an illness. These saints went on to change the world. Their example has led to deep and powerful conversion and devotion from people down through the generations around the globe, and that definitely says something to me. Lastly, please don't try to stop using one coping skill, even an unhealthy one, without having a healthy skill to replace it. This is crucial, and not having a healthy replacement to go to can be a setup for failure. So look into ways you can cope that are healthy and resonate with you, and then move forward with our prayers and the prayers of the saints who want more than anything for you, yes you, to be counted among them. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.